You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. Welcome back, you guys. I hope you're having a lovely summer. I hope you get to enjoy the break and aren't working too hard. We're not Europeans. At least we are not Europeans, so we're still working normal. But hopefully some of you guys get to take time off. I like to think I'm fairly sophisticated as if I were European because I don't like very much, much ice in my drinks. I mean, it's that and the fact that you drink a lot of tea. I think those combined qualify you to get citizenship somewhere else. I know. I have 10 more cups and then I'm British. So nice. Is there a stamp card with that or? I mean, I assume I'm just getting a certificate in the mail with a queen's signature on it or something cool. So it seems real official. Especially Mm -hmm. since she's dead. Yeah. Oh, damn it. I forgot. (laughs) Um, That'd be really special. Well, I mean, they knew it was coming, right? So they were like her first or her last order. Will be to sign this. She met her maker was yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I probably I probably should brush up if I'm going to be a Brit. It's probably best. Probably. <laughs> well, even though it's super hot out, we're going to focus on scary stuff. Like it's the fall. It makes me feel like it might be closer to fall than it is. It makes me want cool weather and apple cider and I'm here for it. So yeah, so fun. Yep. So this week we're going to cover Killer Legends. It was done in 2014. It's an hour and 26 minutes long. I found it on Tubi. It's directed by Joshua Zeman. And every time I see the full name Joshua, all I can think of is Rachel and her boyfriend on Friends. And she kept calling him Joshua, like (laughs) emphasizing it. Very bizarre. Anyway, this is the same cat who did Cropsy. I think Cropsy's pretty well known for most people. I think so. Yeah. I think everyone's seen it. If Mm -hmm. not, go watch it. It's It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. A little disturbing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, not just Geraldo Rivera, because he is disturbing, but some of the other topics as well. Yeah, if you're a true crime person, right, this might be um, kind of one of the better known documentaries, right? And it is difficult to watch in some instances, but it's a fascinating tale. And again, it starts with kids perpetuating really this urban legend about a weird guy that lives in the grounds of the old insane asylum you know what i mean so i mean like how spooky is that and then you know some real life things start to play into that and they start to explore it and i really think that that's a fun way to come around to making a crazy good documentary yeah right Mm -hmm. well they just took that and expanded upon it essentially yeah um so cropsy focuses kind of on one urban legend Mm -hmm. this one picked four new ones. Well, they're not new as it were, but they picked four other urban legends to focus on for this documentary and find if there was any truth behind it, if there's any real crimes that kind of sparked it, what what kind of brought these to life is what we're trying to determine. 
Can I ask a question before we get started? Was there an urban legend around where you grew up? There was. There was an area called, oh my gosh, Devil Something. I cannot remember the name of the area. It was Devil Something. So of course it's horrible and satanic and, <laughs> right. you know, people practice Satanism there and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Now we would drive through, it was very wooded and windy roads. And so of course, as teenagers, we would drive through and be like, Ooh, and nothing right. would happen. Right. <laughs> when I get older and I drive through as an adult, it's just a really upscale area. <laughs> A lot of wealthy homes, lots of wooded area. I doubt there was right. much Satanism, unless that's how they got their wealth. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> what about you? So in Newcastle, where I grew up, there was a story about a bridge. And I don't remember like the story, how it got there. Much like you, you're like, I don't know, something happened. All I know is the action part you're supposed to take. So it was called Crybaby Bridge and you went and you just got on the bridge and turned off the car. And if you rolled the windows down, you might hear a baby crying. And that was it. Like, <laughs> and of course nothing happened. No. Right. No. But it was like, oh my God, are we sitting? And like, what? And then you're just mm -hmm. like, we didn't hear anything, but like, we felt like badasses because we went out there and did that. So <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. And you survived. Yeah. And fun that my mom knows the same story because it was, you know, kind of a thing when she was a kid, too. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, I moved around a lot and I don't know. I meant to ask my mom about the Candyman. Oh, that's okay. That's right when we would have been kids. And I was going to ask her if <gasps> that, right, if it affected how she let us trick or treat. Mm -hmm. I don't recall anything, but we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into that story. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks for indulging me. I just thought that would be a fun introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like I said, we're going to talk about four different urban legends. The first one we're going to talk about is the hook. The story is that teenagers would go park on Lover's Lane. I have no idea where Lover's Lane is. I have no idea. I, I'm assuming this is a small town thing back in the 50s and 60s. I've heard of it, but I have no point of reference as to where that might be like anywhere I've ever lived. I think it I mean, yeah, I think every town has a couple makeout spots that are just off the beaten track. Like you're less likely to be noticed wherever this spot is. Yeah, that's how I picture it. And all the kids know about it, but none of the adults how this works i mean or it moves around i guess like oh, okay yeah as a development or whatever i don't know but i agree <laughs> with you like you you cross over 25 and you no longer remember where it is so that's right that's absolutely <laughs> so they're making out in a car in the dark and like just like when they're getting ready to go all the way the radio breaks into the music and is like, oh, uh, there's been a escaped lunatic from the insane asylum and he's on the loose. And the girl freaks out, of course. I, you can't hear me roll my eyes, guys, but I did. <laughs> the girl freaks out, demands to go home as the, quote, frustrated boy for Gunsy Engine. Right. And, you know, let's put in a nice, ugh. <laughs> 
stupid boyfriend. Yeah. You're going to ruin me for life. Anyway, later they get somewhere. He gets out and he goes around to the other side to like let her out of the car. And there's like a metal hook that's stuck in the door that's got like a bloody remains because it was ripped off of the arm of the insane person that had a hook for a hand. Right, right. Pretty famous. I would not say that that's an isolated story anywhere. I mean, I heard it as a kid. My parents, I think, probably told me because there was a time that they enjoyed driving around. We had a really pretty convertible and we would drive around. And um, my dad thought it was hilarious to stop in cemeteries and scare the bejesus out of all of us. And that's usually when I would get that story. Or we did a lot of camping and we'd hear it around the campfire. Yes, your father sounds like someone I would have gotten along with very well. (laughs) (laughs) He's so funny. So anyway, that's kind of the, that's kind of where we start. Like that is the laying out of the tale. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you see this hook, you see it perpetuated in other horror stories, even in like Candyman or in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, Those are more modern references, I guess, than say the 40s. But yeah, you see it. That hook becomes a very creepy tool that they Mm -hmm. use in horror throughout right right it's very visceral very primal to think about being ripped up with a hook you know what i mean it is but what i love about this story is it it really makes me think of a lot of horror movies of the 80s where the tale was essentially anytime teenagers went to have sex they were going to get killed (laughs) that that's really the moral behind i feel like a lot of these is promiscuous teenagers get killed right stay on the straight and narrow kids yeah so we have our uh two documentarians joshua zeman as we mentioned already and rachel i didn't have her last name up here do you have her last name mills rachel mills rachel mills she's a researcher with him so they're the ones who are kind of going to research these stories, track them down, kind of see where they might have started. We also meet Stephen Winnick. He kind of chimes in throughout this. He is an American folklorist, if you will, working (laughs) at the Library of Congress. So like a real folklorist, not like I do it as a hobby on the side. It's like, damn, dude. I think it's funny how often this career pops up now And how much I never heard of it before, because this, I would have been all over this. This is such a fun look at history. I mean, it's, you know, encompasses our hopes and our fears and all that kind of stuff, but maybe a little light on the facts, but the stories we tell each other and how those things get perpetuated, right? I think that's so fascinating. So I agree. I just worry about being able to get a job with that degree. That's a lottery degree. So I'll work on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right on. He said that the hook urban legend kind of came to be in like the 50s-ish. It actually was published in Dear Abby. So, you know, that gave it a little more spread. But again, he says it involves the dangers of sexual behavior amongst teenagers, which we've already covered. So, look, I'm already a folklorist. Folklorist? That's what I am. A fucking folklorist. Well, you tell history and you have good etiquette. I don't know what's wrong with that. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> outside in, Aaron. Outside in, utensils in. That's how it is. 
so yeah, it's about bad teenagers and it's about car culture, right? Because as cars became more of a staple in modern life um, and the teens were able to get away from their parents to get out there and get up to things, you know? So these are the stories um, we tell them like, look, if you have any fun or any pleasure at all in your whole entire life, you're going to get the hook. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking Puritans. God damn it. I do like that they kind of track down a little bit of a story in the spring of 1946, there was a masked man. We'll assume it's a man. It's a killer. I don't think anyone really did. Well, no, it was a man that attacked several couples in Texarkana. Now, this is a pretty famous story. It's been told in the movie, uh, The Town That Dreads Sundown. So that was done in like the 70s. And I think they redid it in like the right after this documentary came out shortly after. Here's my issue with them telling us about this. The first thing they say is the attacks killed five people that coincided with the full moon. They go on to then say one of them was under a half moon and the other one was, you know, not on lover's lane at all. It was in a house mm-hmm. and he just shot people in the back of the head. And I'm like, so there's really literally no correlation other than people are dying in this small town by gunshot. I think their method though is, what factual thing can we start from? And then the urban legend grew from there. And I think all these little details get added, right? So people are embellishing or, you know, hamming it up a little bit to make it seem scarier. So you can't call some shit the moon moonlight murders. If you're like on occasionally a half moon murder, like it doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue. So. <laughs> no, there was a moon somewhere in the sky somewhere. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah, it's um, embellishment and whatever makes a better story. Right. Because I'm like, if you only kills under the full moon, problem solved. Don't go out under the full moon. I, I know. Mean, brilliant. Yeah. I know. I've solved that problem until <laughs> he kills someone under a half moon and also in someone's house. So it's it was over several months. They go through the crimes. It's mostly couples. And it's, again, some of them were on Lover's Lane. Um, One of them was a farmer who was sitting in his chair and he was shot in the head through the window. And then his wife was shot in the face and she ran out. A couple people survived and they're the ones that talked about the mask that he was wearing. It was just a white kind of sheet with little eye holes cut out, much like you see in the town that dreaded sundown. The women were sexually assaulted. So I will go back and say, yes, it was probably a man. Mm -hmm. There's also the issue the hook where the hook came from seems like a bit of a reach because yeah, that was a reach. There was a gun, right? So there's a gun and it is metal. And so, you know, they're kind of saying again, here's a, here's a changing of the tail to make it a little bit uh, more, I don't know, outrageous or terrifying or whatever it is. So there is maybe the element of, you know, you're talking about sexual assault for the women and being penetrated by the hook. And I'm always like, I mean, I guess, <laughs> whatever. It's just difficult to understand um, who was like, you know, what would be cooler. I've got a hook hand. <laughs> that is creepier in my opinion. Yeah. Like a big pirate pan was like, let's put a hook on. <laughs> yeah so silly Mm -hmm. Um, and that 
that really is for me when it comes to this particular urban legend and them tracking this killer down. This case is interesting. Don't get me wrong. They never found the killer. They did think it was some cat named Yule. And and the other issue I had with the story, but again, I'm trying not to put our conventions onto a previous time in history because they were different. But like the, the first couple they talk about getting killed, you have Richard Griffin, who was 29, and Polly Ann Moore, who was like 17. And I'm like, hmm, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. And I understand what you're saying. Like, we frown upon that now. Maybe it wasn't so frowned upon in the past, but it's just cringe. Okay. Like, and also they got murdered. So she probably deserved it because she was out with a dude after dark or whatever. So, I mean, it's just, it's fraud with problems. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. The Town that Dreaded Sundown was like the original slasher flick. Have you ever seen the movie? You're not a big horror flick person, are you? I am not. It looks pretty spectacular. And what I'd like to talk about is the fourth couple. <laughs> they weren't They weren't a couple. They weren't a couple. Uh, number one in real life. Mm-hmm. Right. So the young lady, um, I did not write her name down, which is probably bad. But Betty Jo Booker. Betty Jo Booker was a saxophone player. She was pretty awesome from what they say. Awesome enough to be playing a gig in well into the middle of the night, which I think for a 15 year old seems like a lot, but right. hundred percent. So in the movie, however, uh, for dramatic, whatever, they show her as a trombone player and then her death scene, she's like tied tits first to a tree, right? So she's stomach on the tree, her arms are wrapped around and she's secured on there. And the killer wraps a knife around the slide end part of her trombone and it's like playing it and like moving it out and stabbing her and I'm like it's fucking ridiculous and she's a real person and doesn't really deserve that but what happens is people actually believe that's the facts of the case and I'm like oh. when, right. is it, when are, is a killer just like you know what I've got just scads of time mm-hmm I'm going to go Nothing but time this. to sit and play this right? loud instrument while I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> no one will notice. In the middle of the woods. It's fine. <laughs> so. Yeah. Her friend, Paul Martin, was 16. He was the one driving her home. And they ended up both getting killed, which is unfortunate. Right. But, yeah. So, I would like to see this movie because it sounds like my kind of ridiculous. I would enjoy <laughs> that part. But it is good to remember that there were actual people that perished in the town at one point. And so I think it's funny that they reshow, like they show the film on the anniversary every year, like right on top of where one of the crimes took place. Yes. Kind right of interesting. at like the park where, yeah, they, there was an issue with the murders and whatnot. And yeah, they play it every year. And so they're talking to like, the documentarians are talking like the mayor or whomever of the town. And he's like, yeah, it's my idea to play it. And they're like, well, you know, they're making another one. He's like, yeah, I thought it was just a remake. And they're like, no, we're pretty sure it's about someone who saw this film in this town and decided to recreate the crimes. And he's like, Oh yeah. I hadn't heard that. (laughs) 
But I mean, you're not going to prevent someone. He's going to do that. They're going to do that. This movie wouldn't be a trigger in my opinion. And I would go see this movie in, let me rephrase that. I would go see this movie in that setting, much like I'd watch Jaws sitting in a, a lake in an inner tube. And I watch Children of the Corn in a cornfield <laughs> because it adds to it. But those are fake. And this is based on true crime. So it's a little bit more harsh, right? Because some of those families probably still live in that town. And I don't know, that seems a little more callous, in my opinion. I think, though, we see a lot of examples of events that have happened in our lifetime that are kind of forgotten in severity. Right? So, I mean, like, maybe today's youth don't understand how horrible 9-11 was. And they're like, I don't understand how you guys just sat around all day watching coverage. And you're like, oh, everyone did. Like, that was one of those things. Like, in our parents' time, it might have been um, assassination of JFK. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a, a cultural moment. But I think that lack of answers, since it wasn't solved, kind of helps with the mystery of this urban legend. So, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And awful, too. Fun and awful. Right. But in the end, the urban legend is just that there Mm -hmm. i don't know that there's record of anybody being killed by a hook like a person might have a hand missing and have a hook but i don't think that was the weapon used to kill that i'm aware of i don't know it's very cinematic not very practical the scraping on the car yeah that it is very cinematic Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Hard to hold a toothbrush, but it's okay. We have the other hand. Have you tried to brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand? And I'm not saying it was his dominant hand, but if I'm going to hook somebody, I'd like the dexterity of my dominant hand. These are all just musings mm-hmm. <laughs> from a very warped mind. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I think that one is determined that uh, that was a stretch for me on that connection with the urban legend on that one. However, the next one is a little, um, a little easier to connect the dots, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the next one? So this one is characterized by, they're going to call it the Candyman, the, the urban legend surrounding the Candyman. I think that this one is more pervasive. This is definitely a thing that I faced, number one, as a parent and also as a trick-or-treater back in the day. That everyone was convinced that some ne'er-do-well in every neighborhood of the entire United States was A, poisoning people's Halloween candy or putting pins or razor blades or screws or something. I don't know. Like you're about to get a fucked up mouth Mm -hmm. from your bit of honey. You know what I mean? So, Well, you are going to get a fucked up mouth from a bit of honey. Let's say <laughs> that dental work is, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, uh, but yeah, right. from, from like a Snickers bar, even you would get, yeah, your mouth tore up. Mm-hmm. And I guess they say the first case of tainted candy happened in Long Island in 1964. It was a housewife named Helen who was pissed off that teenagers were trick or treating what do you, I mean, this is a wholesome activity, ma'am. Let them trick or treat. What else are they going to do? Would you have them be out doing drugs or vandalism or something? 
Who cares? Anyway, she got mad, so she handed out dog biscuits, steel wool, and poison ant buttons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, two of those, anybody would be like, I'm not eating that. Mm-hmm. So the ant buttons, I don't even know what the fuck that is, but. I don't either. I don't either. I, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone got seriously hurt. Um, she said it was a joke. She was still found guilty of endangering children. So calm down, ma'am. Well, as a parent, I would not find that funny. You know what I mean? No. So. No. Yeah. But it, it seems like the story spread, it became, it became widespread without that even. Like there were news things, there were um, hospitals would offer to x-ray candy for you. Um, this was a really big thing in the 70s. And then they had an actual case, right? So 1974 Pasadena, Texas. Um, there's a man, his name is Ryan, no, Ronald O'Brien. And his son, Timothy, dies of cyanide poisoning from a pixie stick. And so pretty horrible. And the classic thing of like, um, you know, they had a group of children, like the O'Briens had two children, a boy and a girl, some neighbor kids and like some other rando that was in this group, which is exactly how trick-or-treating goes. <laughs> like, right. You just, right. Who all can fit in the car and we're going to go to the fancy neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think they stayed in their neighborhood. So it was cool in that regard. But it was that thing of like the kids were like, can we one piece of candy tonight? And so the dad's like, okay, here's this pixie stick or whatever, and uh, pours it in his kid's mouth. That's a problem right there for me. I was like, no. And shortly after the kid is like uh, violently vomiting, like just having all kinds of problems. And by the time the ambulance and they get him to the hospital and stuff, he's pronounced terrifying. Yeah. And keep in mind that this dad passed out pixie sticks to all the kids in the house. Right. That's what you find out as the story goes along, right? Yeah. So they kind of walk you through the case, right? To say they're at the hospital, the dad, like the police are trying to ask, you know, what happened and where the candy come from. And so the, you know, the pixie stick and there are the other pixie sticks, but they're weirdly stapled shut. (laughs) You're like, "Mm." right. And trying to find where they came from. So they drive the dad around Ronald. He gets, uh, you know, the old escort around to the houses to see who was uh, the hander outer of these things. And he like picks a house at random. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for him, the owner of that house has a rock solid alibi. And so they're like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turns out that Mr. O'Brien had taken out large insurance policies on his two children, not himself, not his wife, just the two kids. He also talked to numerous people about death by cyanide. I just don't understand how stupid. I mean, if he had Google, he would have just Googled it. I'm pretty sure. Not subtle, my man. No. (laughs) He tried to buy the cyanide from local companies. But the problem is, is he wasn't just going to kill his own kids. He had given these pixie sticks to his neighbor's kids. He was willing to kill other children to perpetuate this idea that 
they had picked him up trick-or-treating. So this was just completely random. Mm-hmm. And I have now have four, five dead kids in my house because of some psychopath, right, who handed these out. Right. So I find it really interesting that he's like, this is going to go off without a hitch. And I'm like, yes, the police are going to be like, well, where were you guys? Where did the pixie sticks come from? Now, I could understand as a parent, maybe not remembering what exact house the pixie sticks came from. But, like, you have a narrow pool of suspects. You don't only get around to so many houses with five right. little kids for trick or treat. It's just, it's a, this is a terrible plan. <laughs> it's just awful. Everything about it is horrible, right? It's not very well thought out. They never, he never admits to it. So they never get a motive as to why. Was he in financial you know, trouble. And that's what the insurance money was going to do. I don't know. I think the only thing that kept the other kids alive was the fact that the son reacted so quickly to the cyanide that the other kids did not get their candy open yet. Right. So they did mention something about the daughter being sick. She was sickened, but you know, they were able to swoop in. So they didn't really give any more details on that. But yeah, I'm like, it's just, it's a bad con, I guess, is the way I'm trying to say this. It's an interesting uh, use of an assumption that's already out there, right? So th- he's not starting, this This rumor was perpetuated because of him, but it was already a thing before he ever came on the scene. He's like, this is foolproof. I'm just going to tap into this and I'll be home free because who would ever look at the dad? And I'm like, the police? Mm-hmm. A- anyone? <laughs> Who's got yeah. half a brain. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was convicted. It only took them jury 45 minutes to find him guilty. Another 75 to sentence him to death. Um, he did have a few extensions, but on March 31st, 1984, he was put to death. So. Mm-hmm. Did you catch the part where he was like, if you really think about it, I'm the victim here. I and Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of them say that. Poor me. Poor me. Mm -hmm. Right. When asked where the idea of, like, the stranger poisoning people, like, how does this get perpetuated? Um, They talk about, I mean, our our folklorist friend talks about there's really no evidence of this, of anyone being seriously killed or hurt by rando candy being picked up. But the tampered candy that people, quote, find, he's like, that's probably kids playing pranks. It's the easiest thing to do to prank your parent. And then you're the center of attention. Right. And again, let me hit again on how pervasive this was. Mm-hmm. Still is. News stories. Yeah. Uh, serious ass TV reporters will be like, well, everybody's freaking out this year about the candy. Hospitals, again, offering to x-ray your candy, which I'm like, how much does that cost? And admittedly, one of the, either an administrator of the hospital or a technician was like, we really never found anything, which is good. Right. Um, there's PSAs. Mm-hmm. Like animated ones. They're fucking amazing. <laughs> talking, yeah, they are. Talking jack-o'-lanterns and shit. Oh, so good. So it really, um, that fear for your children, I think, is really ingrained in folks and it just really goes right to the heart of like 
parents are like, well, shit, I want my kid to have some fun in life, but also I'm to hold it real close. So it's, it's really an interesting um, situation. Mm-hmm. Well, remember when I was really little, we used to get homemade treats. Like people would make popcorn balls and wrap them up individually and then give them to you as treats, right? right? Now, if you get a homemade treat, mm-hmm. it goes straight in the trash, right? <laughs> There's none of that shit happening. That's not allowed. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I say again, I one time had a trick-or-treater say to me, trick-or-treat, I'm allergic to wheat. It's like, <laughs> fucking adorable. <laughs> I love that. Right. Here's some gummy bears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I always try to have like non-candy things too. And things that, because there's some kids that can't have candy or so I have like glow bracelets and fun stuff like that they can have. Okay. I was like, mm. a pencil? <laughs> no, no, no. You'd be surprised at how many kids take the glow bracelets though, because- they're cool and fun and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was happy that this one at least had a, a much stronger correlation. Not to say sure. the movie Candyman and Caprini Green and all that, but Ugh. that's a whole different, that's more of a Bloody Mary situation, I feel like, which we don't cover here. No. Um, what a formative, I mean, I just I remember being shocked by that movie as a youngster. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the next is when a stranger calls. Okay. So when a stranger calls, so the story is a babysitter is home alone, probably not at their home, probably at someone else's home, but they're babysitting children. Now these are young kids, like 13 to 15 usually. And the kids are in bed and the babysitter's downstairs. There's always two floors in this scenario. I don't know why. And she gets a call. And the creepy person on the other end is like, have you checked the children? And she's like, meh, whatever. And hangs up. And the phone rings again. And it says, have you checked the children? And then they laugh and they maniacally, then they hang up. So the babysitter's creeped out, calls the police. And the police are like, let us look into it. We'll call back. And when the phone rings again, it's the police. And they say, the call's coming from inside the house. Inside the house. Ah! Right. And so at this time, she turns to the stairs and there's a creepy shadow walking down and then it's a moiterer, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. There are a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies based on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is I started babysitting at 12. How old were you when you were babysitting? <laughs> About the same age, yeah. Can you imagine? I can't imagine my kids babysitting at that age. There's no fucking way. Absolutely not. I'm like, oh, they made such poor decisions. <laughs> let's, let's put them in charge of a baby. <laughs> oh my god, I never was scared when I was alone. I remember sitting at um, there were only like two houses I think ever babysat for, and it wasn't very often because I wasn't very good at it. But I remember sitting and watching old Godzilla movies at night. It's really the only thing I remember. And eating their oh, junk that's food funny. because my mom, would let us have, my mom would let us have junk food. <laughs> I used to watch Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, the Robin mm. Leach show. Yep. <laughs> well, I babysat a kid on Sunday nights. And being in someone else's house when it was dark outside, I did find that a little creepy because you're, you don't have the home field advantage. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Well, Rachel starts researching this to see where it might have come from because it is pretty pervasive. And Mm -hmm. she has a hard time finding any 
babysitters being killed. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of stories of babysitters killing. So keep that in mind. Terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Please vet. Okay. Please vet. Oh my God. Just get a relative. It's so much easier. (laughs) I just never went out and did anything because I didn't have any relatives when Lane was little. I mean, I had relatives. They were too far away. Right. So Rachel finally finds a case from the 50s. From Columbia, Missouri. Now, this young lady is named Jeanette Chrisman. They show a picture of young Jeanette Chrisman at the age of 13. She looked fucking 30 in this picture, right? I 100% agree with you. I was like, she is mature. (laughs) Others notice that as well. But I mean, just just her hairstyle and makeup and everything. She looked so much older than 13. But yeah, we talked to one Carol Haley Holt, who's a friend. And she tells us a story of that night. And it's horrible. Yeah, there's not a lot of humor to introduce here. It's just straight up terrible. Jeanette was watching the kids. And... It seems that the mom, Mrs. Romack, tried to call home, but she got a baby or she got a baby. She got a busy signal, not a baby Mm -hmm. signal. She already had that. (laughs) So she couldn't get through because there was a storm or something and she didn't want the kids to wake up. Just kind of that mom anxiety of like somebody else is watching my kids. Maybe they don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. And it just didn't seem to. I mean, she wasn't able to get a hold of Jeanette. And then we also find out that Jeanette made a call to the police to which the police just heard the crime, like her screaming and being attacked. But this was a pre tracing mm-hmm. technology. So they had no idea where she was calling from. She obviously wasn't able to tell them as she was being moited mm-hmm. and um, yeah, she died. Um, and they don't know anything about it. Now the scene kind of depicts some interesting stuff, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's like a broken window. And so they're like, oh, that's where the person came in. But the blinds are not must at all. And nothing on the inside is messed up. Like there's a piano right there and things like that. Nothing is messed up. So it doesn't seem, and it's also really jagged, right? Usually if you're going to climb in, you're going to clean that glass out because... I guess you'd reach up and open it. I don't know. I've not broken a window to get in, but it didn't seem like that's where a person came in from. Right. So I think we have the advantage here again of living in a time where we have watched multiple true crime documentaries and we all understand Mm -hmm. if somebody like profile style, if somebody comes in your window, number one, your blinds are going to be all fucked up and there's going to be glass on the inside and there's going to be all those kinds of things. This at least from the photographs and the notes and shit that they had, that wasn't going on here. So it's just like almost an afterthought that they broke the window to be like, we'll throw them off the trail. And so that's how it right. you know, was told. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, later they do talk to a, a profiler person, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't get his name. I called him Franz. He was German, but he talks about, it made sense for them to break the window because the father that lived in the house had taught Jeanette 
how to shoot the shotgun that he kept by the front door. And so Mm -hmm. this person who killed her would have had to know that the gun was there. So to be able to break the window, to draw her attention away so they could go around to the front door and come in the front door, preventing her from getting the gun. So he said they had to know this girl, but if you live in a small town, everyone kind of knows everyone. So it doesn't really eliminate a whole lot of people. Right. So she was strangled with a, a cord to an iron and she was also assaulted, which is horrific. And so, yeah, that's the death of sweet little Jeanette. Then they find out there was a murder uh, a couple years earlier, right around the corner of another girl who wasn't babysitting, but she was home alone. Similar mo how she was killed and sexually assaulted they find out there were a lot of sexual assaults in the columbia area in between those two in that four-year period and they believe it was a gentleman who was friends with the parents family who lived there because he had made comments about young jeanette being a virgin she was 13 sir i hope so and how you know, he liked the way that she looked and just really gross comments. This was a grown adult, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also had called to try to get Jeanette to babysit that night, but she was already babysitting for this other family. And so he knew where she was and he knew she would have been there alone. So there are a lot of things that point to this cat doing it, but he, no one was ever officially caught for it. Right. So I don't know that there was a lot of physical evidence to tie him to this. It was a lot of circumstantial stuff and just like feels from the town folk and all those kinds of things. So it's an interesting thought. But yeah, they're just, they're unable to nail him for it. So the documentarians make a comment to our profiler and they're like, well, the rapes ended when he left town. And he's like, yep, that doesn't look good. But also... 50,000 men went to Korea at this time. So he wasn't the only one who left town. So it really doesn't seal the case. Right. So there's no one who was caught for the crime. The fact that she was babysitting just made it convenient. There's nothing to make this urban legend really make sense as an urban legend. Like a, a babysitter's getting murdered because why would they know you were there alone? Why would they know you were in someone else's house? They would assume the family's there. It's just that idea that it would have to be someone you know, I guess. But they talk about this. There's just no danger for babysitters to be at someone's house alone. Right? Right. And then they kind of speculate on why, what this urban legend is serving. Right? So, There's a fear of responsibility if you're a young person caring for children who are not yours. A lot of pressure there. So I think it kind of builds into that fear of, ah, fuck. You know what I mean? So, Well, take it seriously, right? You're responsible. You need to take it seriously. Yeah. So it is interesting. I don't know. I This is what I feel in my heart because, again, we got told this a lot right? As kids, like, oh, just be really careful and lock the doors and everybody's out to get you. And especially if you're babysitting, like, you know, so. Yeah. I like that there was, um, they were able to find something, whether or not it started or not. I think it's, it's more prevalent that 
young girls being alone, period, feel threatened and scared. And that responsibility there just adds to it. So sure, that makes more sense to me. So if you babysit, just like a ranch style and you'll be good. You'll be good. It's always a second story mm-hmm. with the urban legend. So you're safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. What is the last urban legend we're going to talk about today? So charming story number four is called Why So Serious? And mm. this taps into the urban legend of the killer clown. Dun, dun, mm. dun. I don't have a problem with clowns. I know a lot of people find them creepy. They don't bother me. I mean, I think the people who choose to dress up like clowns are probably weird, but so am I. So (laughs) whatever. I will put out there that my mom did dress up as a clown for birthday parties when we were kids. So maybe that's why they don't scare me so much. And she's, I mean, she's weird and quirky like the rest of us, but. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the hobo clown. Yes. Yes. I just think they're charming. I don't know. It's not like I want a bunch of tchotchkes in my house. So don't do that, children, please. <laughs> I just think there's something cute about those um, if I had to pick. So, yeah, my room as a child was decorated in clowns. Like I had a big clown situation at my house. And I don't know that I really have a strong uh, scare to them. But like when they have the scary, scary phases, I'm like, that's weird. You know, it's not great. So, no, it's not. And we did grow up with Poltergeist, that clown. Yes. Mm-hmm. It with Tim Curry. Oh, um, the Tim Curry. Yeah. The most He's amazing. So delightful. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and so we have the scary clowns. Mm-hmm. But there's also a real life serial killer who dressed as a clown. So most of you are probably familiar with John Wayne Gacy, if you like any true crime at all. This was Chicago in the 70s. He slayed 33 young men between 1972 and 1978. Buried them under his house and shit. Or in his house, in the walls and fucking craziness. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. And he dressed as Pogo the Clown. Now, What I find interesting is they were talking to some of the detectives and they're like, we thought he was using Pogo the Clown to lure victims. But that was just something completely separate that he did because he liked the attention. Okay. Is that the kind of attention we want or? Well, I thought it was funny. I was like, what teenage boy is me like, yes, I will totally follow this clown. I'm like, no. They're not interested in fucking candy. Unless it's nose candy at that time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's, I think it's just a little bit of icing on the horrible cake of John Wayne Gacy, right? Like he was just something else. And the fact that he was also a a creepy ass clown just adds to the lore of him. It's bad. It's bad. Well, and then this, this prosecutor that they were talking to, I think it was a prosecutor of some sort. He said that they had talked to clown experts. And according to them, clowns should not have any sharp points on the makeup they're drawing. They should all be rounded and soft and fluffy. But Mm -hmm. 
uh, Gacy had triangles over his eyes, which were sharp points. And then his mouth, he made into sharp points. So that was a key indicator that everyone should have known that he was a serial killer. (laughs) Right. Because I think people don't understand that to be a clown, an official clown, I'm sure there's like non-official clowns, but like you register and you have like, there's like clown schools and shit. Like this is like a real thing that has some rules, right? So, you know, you don't do your makeup like somebody else. Like it's a whole thing. So. Right. However, the next person we meet is Ken Melvin Berg, who is a clown historian. Again, I'm going to tell Declan if he goes to school for history, he needs to be a clown historian who was putting makeup on and he had sharp points. So that theory is now right out the door. Five minutes later, they've thrown it out. I think though they were driving around with him. They did not mention any destination. And I think he was just like, let me show you what it's like. So seeing a clown out of context, I think disturbs people. There is a prevalent um, fear of clowns, which is called cholerophobia. And so they can't decide if it's so prevalent now because everybody wants to be on the bandwagon of we're scared of clowns or it's legit. Now that scary clowns are out there, we're scared of clowns. There seems to be a little bit of uncertainty about clowns were loved for forever. And now there's like four scary clown sightings and then everybody hates clowns. It's a little bit more, you know, subtle than that, but kind of an interesting uh, thought experiment, perhaps. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of cases. Apparently, Chicago has a lot of history with clown sightings and stories. They went around and talked to people about kids being abducted by clowns. They're like, oh, totally. They were totally abducted by clowns. We saw clowns. And they're like, you believe it? And they're like, yeah, someone told me they saw a clown. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a fact. Absolutely. Well, a lot of it, too, is opinions of children. Like, children have cited these clowns and children have been attacked. And I'm not saying that didn't happen, but people tend not to believe children in most cases. But this, they're like, fuck yeah, there's clowns everywhere. And the the creepy van came from this at this point, like the serial killer van with the clowns in it. I mean, it's a whole thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. They do have in Chicago a weird cemetery. So, apparently... One of the worst train wrecks in American history happened there out, right outside Chicago in Hammond. It's actually in Indiana. At June 22nd, 1918, a conductor fell asleep and plowed right into some sleeper cars that were parked, well, for sleeping. And they were cars for the Hagenbach Wallace Circus. And 86 performers were killed. There's a whole section in a Chicago cemetery called showman's rest because they were kind of buried in a mass grave because you couldn't really identify a lot of them. They were burned in that. It's really sad. It was, it was really sad to watch that. And then one clown who survived became a sad clown after that, although he was a very jovial clown before, but then they say that his wife and kids died right next to him. I'm like, of course he's a fucking sad clown now. Jesus Christ. What do you expect from this man? Right. And the story is, if you weren't necessarily killed in the initial impact, those rail cars were wooden and they just went up in fire and people were just burned beyond recognition. And that's what happened to that man's family that had just recently joined the circus. And it's just like, 
is just so sad. I do really like the fact, I mean, I love the name Showman's Rest. I know we shit on a lot of names in here, but I just thought that was, I don't know, just conveyed a lot of feeling. And I, I thought that was sweet. I liked it too. And it had an elephant mm-hmm. statue and that it was, it was really well done. Yeah, it really was. And it's sad because they walk along at night. There's a couple of times been there going out and looking for things at night. I'm like, you couldn't mm-hmm. get out during the day because they have flashlights and they're like, where is it? And I'm like, for cinematic purposes, I get it. <laughs> yes. But there are several times Rachel was like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, right. Just go out during the day, ma'am. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. Right. But anyway, they're walking along and they're shining the flashlight and they're like, when is Baldy? And that's the only name they knew him by. And then it's like unknown male, unknown male, unknown male, just 20 times in a row. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. So that's a tough one. Right. Because we go from that right into Aurora, Colorado in 2012, where James Holmes killed people during the dark night rises showing and he was essentially kind of he wasn't dressed like the joker but he had dyed his hair like the joker and some of the things that i think he did and said made it seem like he was trying to portray that image yeah the joker's a great villain right i mean there's the great uh look of him he just looks fucking terrifying and it's a great character. I think it's a character that speaks to a lot of people. So if you're having trouble with reality, (laughs) it makes sense that maybe your alter ego likes that. I don't know. It's terrifying, but yeah, Joker's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. Well, um, one of the, one of the experts at some point um, had said, well, he had said at the end of this, he said, we are not one but rather a parliament of personalities and the killer clown is one of them. Sir, I do not have a killer clown in there. I might have other things, but not a killer clown. Then he said, we have to be very careful not to let the killer clown out, except in a safe way and a playful way. And I thought that's probably what John Wayne Gacy thought he was doing. (laughs) No. I do like the fact that he's talking about like, a couple times we've referenced masks, right? So clown makeup could be considered a mask in Texarkana, the moonlight killer, the phantom, whichever you want to call him. Um, he had a mask and that mask just was in everything after that, right? There's always a lot of mask killers and at least in cinema, but I do agree that there are different aspects of our personalities and we show different faces to different people. Right. So I think that there is power in having a mask and embracing some of those other things that you don't normally, you know, acknowledge in your own human behavior. So I think it's an interesting, like, he's really taking it to an extreme, but I do agree that there is a little something there. So interesting. I think, I think people use the internet as a mask now, right? That's the anonymity they (laughs) get and they feel free to say and do all the horrible things they want. And that's right. Not necessarily okay there either. So and I know you're saying that because you don't want to read some nasty shit about us on our comments. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's yeah. interesting when you hear about celebrities. Like I, I laugh when they do celebrities read mean tweets and it is funny. Oh my God. But there are probably some things that really hit hard. And if you're, if you're in the industry, they're like, well, you brought it on yourself. You chose this. And I'm like, there's no reason to be horrible. They're still people. I just don't understand the idea that 
you can say or do whatever you want and not have any I think if you're tempted to make nasty comments about someone else on the internet, maybe look, maybe do a little soul searching. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little unhappy with uh, what's going on on the inside of you. Cause you don't, you don't have to make comments about people. Like I think that really says more about the commentor than the commentee. So I don't know. Yeah. That's my psychology for today for you. <laughs> uh, agreed. All right. So those are our four urban legends. Mm-hmm. I think the last three, I like the connections better than the first one. That was a stretch for me. Okay. But the documentary was really well done. And I do like the fact that they say a lot of times we make up these urban legends because although they seem scarier or they seem scary, they're not as scary as the truth. Mm -hmm. Because we know deep down they're really not real. So it's okay Mm -hmm. to indulge in them a little bit. I agree. And please understand that we are still currently making new urban legends. Like a lot of these are older references before my lifetime, certainly, but we make new ones all the time. So um, this is, this is part of how people channel their fears towards something, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting. And it it helps them make the narrative fit, right? If they have a specific narrative they need to see to feel safe and this makes that work. So Mm -hmm. usually it's harmless, but not always. Yeah. Let's be careful guys. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. It was a really fun documentary though. I think they did a really good job. They laid it out. Well, it was a lot of fun. So I recommend watching it. You can watch it for free. So yeah, pick it up. I will watch Mm -hmm. anything that Josh Zeman makes. I've really enjoyed a lot of his things. Joshua. Oh, Joshua. Yes. <laughs> my, I think my closed caption, this is so much easier for my notes. A lot of times that said Josh and I'm like, oh, it must be uh, familiar oh. then. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I will watch anything he makes. It's, he's delightful. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of again, embellishing with the going out on those uh, fines for whatever at night. And I just laugh at that because mm-hmm. I'm like, the daytime is an option, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. I made that comment in my notes too. I'm like, is nothing available during the day? Also, they walk through someone's yard to get to a wooded area at one point in time. And I'm like, in the middle of the night? How do you not get shot? Yeah. In Texas? <laughs> yes. Yes, you're and there's lucky. flashlights going all around, and there's a guy with a giant camera. At least I assume it's giant. Could be like a small phone or something, but it looks like it's like an apparatus. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like they're not being subtle about it. So it's just kind of funny. Yeah, I mean they probably mm-hmm. had already knocked on the door and was like, "Hey, can we walk through?" And they're like, "Yeah." And so then they were like, Ooh, sh- 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 "We're gonna sneak through." Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's fine. So mm-hmm. okay. Do you have an honorary errand for the week? I do. I okay. chose Stephen the folklorist because I think I secretly want to be a folklorist. I chose him too. I, <laughs> I think we both want to be folklorists. I do. I think I'm crushing on folklorists. That's just it. Yeah. It seems like such a fun job, but I just wonder what is your, like if I were to interview and I were to ask him a question, I'd be like, what is your typical day look like at work i need to know how this lays out because it seems like more of a researcher position not a really nine to five i just don't understand how that fills an entire 
day, week, month. I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, I like to think it's like combing through libraries and dusty books and I don't know, like cave paintings and shit like that. That is what it looks like in my brain. And I can take a latte along, you know, that's my jam. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. here for it. We might need to look into that and see what we can do. <laughs> Second degree. Hobbyist folklorists. Yes. Until we can get paid. So, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah. Love it. Okay, ma'am. What are we going to do next week? Okay, I'm pretty pumped. Next week, we're going to do something called Perfect Bid. It's an hour and 10 minutes, released in 2017. Um, and you can find it just about everywhere. Let's say Netflix, Tubi, Peacock, um, potentially Prime if you want to pay for it. And it's about the price is right. Like there's a cat that does an incredible amount of research to try to get the, <laughs> the price for things. Um, on the off chance that he gets selected to uh, come on down. So I personally am thrilled to pieces. <sighs> I know. I can't wait. I remember watching it when you're sick as a kid, you would stay <laughs> home from school. And that was the only thing on was like price is right. Right. Because I didn't have cable. Right. Like that. You got to watch Bob Barker, that silver haired fox. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he got charged with sexual harassment. I know he did. God damn it. He just seems so sophisticated with that tiny yet long microphone. I know, right? And remember to spay and neuter your animals and pets. That's all I'm saying. Right. Right. Mm. So anyway, I, I too associate a lot of prices Right with childhood and fun times. My grandpa watched it. And um, mm. I was the one where you yodel. God damn, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great game. That is a good one. And play oh, out. Oh, mm -hmm. so good. So anyway, oh, I'm happy about it. <laughs> well, good. All right. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we'll ask you to rate, review, and subscribe. Come find us on Instagram, Twitter, a little bit on Facebook, but not really. I'm getting better, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to post <laughs> anything. We have a website at gooddockyourself.com. Um, come see us. Come leave comments. Come give us suggestions. Yeah. Hope you guys are having a great summer and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye. Later.